Hello, and welcome to The Fast and the Fictitious. This podcast series is produced and recorded by high school juniors and seniors producing a college literature credit from Sewella Technical Community College in Lake Charles, Louisiana, during the fall 2023 semester. The course itself is live-streamed five days a week to seven different area high schools as one of Calcasieu Parish School Board's Virtual Instruction Program Dual Enrollment Courses. The idea behind this podcast is for students to have a discussion about big ideas or big issues. Each episode has an anchor text, a short story from a variety of authors, ranging from Ernest Hemingway to Kate Chopin to David Foster Wallace and everyone in between. Using the short story as a guide, each pair of students touch on a variety of topics. Sometimes they do a little critical analysis of the assigned text. Often they talk about larger social or personal issues. In each case, the discussion is open and honest. The hope is that these students will have thought deeply about the issues and topics and that the current and future listeners, whether students or not, will gain some insight into the anchor text as well as do a little self-examination of their own lives, thoughts, and feelings. In this episode, Trent joins me to discuss Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl. In addition to the story, we talk about topics such as why we are so attracted to anti-heroes, what makes a person capable of horrific acts, how we feel when we are wronged, the usefulness of the bad guy in literature to allow us to acknowledge the darker parts of our psyche, the insanity of Batman, the humor of Deadpool, the appeal of Darth Vader and Boba Fett, the unacknowledged cultural appropriation committed by Indiana Jones, and more. We hope you enjoy. Trent, uh, it's Thanksgiving week uh, here where I am. I assume also where you are. It's also Thanksgiving week. Um, what are the plans for Thanksgiving? Oh, the family's coming over to the house, but we still got football practice in the mornings. So that'll be fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, work up an appetite. You know, you uh, are in the, the playoffs there with your football team. We are uh, rooting for you for sure. Hope y'all do well. Um, so do you have any like traditions for your family's Thanksgiving? You do anything, you know, every year it happens every time, any games, any activities, any traditions? Uh, what, what's it look like for your family? Um, usually we have a football game with all the uncles that are usually drunk and the little cousins and stuff. So, yeah. And then my dad will be like prime Ben Roethlisberger absolutely smoking kids in the head like that Peyton Manning SNL skit. Absolutely. <laughs> well, hopefully that's his only uh, only uh, resemblance to Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope so. Pretty yeah, much. no, it's always fun to uh, throw a ball aggressively hard at a small child. I can get behind that. Me too. I've done it before. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have. Uh, well, that's good. Yeah. Um, you got a big family, a lot of people coming to the house or what? Um. I'd say about 25 or 30 at most. Oh. So a decent size. That's a, that's a lot. Well, all the cousins and uncles and aunts and stuff. Yeah, they add up. They add up. Yeah. Do you have any uh, – what's your responsibility at your family Thanksgiving? Are you uh, responsible for a dish or 
uh, any other kind of uh, thing that is that is, is just a Trent job? Uh, showing up. I okay. don't really have any responsibilities for it. Enjoy it while it lasts. Uh, one of these days you will. And uh, holidays change when you have responsibilities. It's much more easily. It's much more, much more enjoyable to be enjoyable to be a participant in a holiday rather than a uh, manipulator of said holiday. Uh, are, do you cook though? Is there any dish that you could prepare if you were asked to, to have something on the table? I could cook a buffalo mac and cheese, a chicken buffalo mac and cheese. That thing is good. Okay. Okay. Say more. What's that sound like? So you get uh, one of those like, um, what do you call that? Fajita like chicken things from yep. uh, like Market Basket or wherever or Walmart. Like already already and, seasoned or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put that in the air fryer till it's cooked and like good and all that. And then you mix that into a, a mac and cheese that you already cooked. And then you mix in, I did like five tablespoons, I think, of um, Frank's Red Hot. And okay. ooh, it was nice. So not for the faint of heart? Not. It was a good amount of spice. It wasn't. Yeah, my wasn't great crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm a I'm a spice head myself. I like the hotter the better. Uh, I probably would have asked for a few more drops on mine, but uh, that's just me. Uh, is it? Uh, what's the hottest food you think you've ever eaten? The spiciest food you've ever had? I forget what it's called, but it's like the third or fourth most hot thing at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. Or have okay. you ever been to Blazing Hot Chicken? I've not been there. I've heard good things about this place, though. Luke says that whenever he got like the third or fourth hottest uh like portion of theirs it was like glowing whenever he got it and then it took him three <laughs> sittings to eat it like i'm sure luke was also glowing the next day let's say uh absolutely way to say that yeah no i know i uh last time i had some hot wings i went to um wing stop and i got the uh the hottest variety that they have there and, the uh, yeah oh yeah just put it all down polished it off um, I mean, I suffered, you know, you suffer for your art, you know, much like, um, uh, a hunger artist. We read from uh, Kafka earlier this semester. Um, you suffer for your art, Trent. This is what you have to do, um, to be a true artist for sure. Um, Absolutely. has anybody ever, when's the last time anybody did you wrong? Did me wrong. Ooh, yeah. that's a good question. I mean, seriously, like, I was like hurt it was probably mm -hmm. like a few years ago. I haven't, I don't get attached to people like that. I just deuce out whenever they do me wrong. I don't know. Gotcha. Well, we'll talk about this thing that happened a couple of years ago, if you're comfortable enough doing that. Uh, you can change so, the names if you need to, to protect the innocent. <laughs> pretty much my friend Glenn had, um, he had like, told this chick that I liked that I like absolutely hated her. And it was just like, bro, Glenn, what you doing? Like, I thought you was going to be my wingman, but then nope. So it didn't How did work you, out. Yeah. How did you feel about it? How'd you feel towards Glenn? Oh, Glenn. Oh, it was like, man, I thought I had a chance at this girl. And then I was like, 
What the hell, Glenn? Come on. You get I was you you were supposed to be a homie and now you being all not a homie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Um did you um exact any revenge on Glenn in any way? Uh I pretty much just stopped hanging out with Glenn. Okay. It was okay. more so, just like I don't want to be around so, you. Yeah. So are you are you and and Glenn still uh estranged up to this day? Uh I think he texted me happy birthday, but okay. other than that. He's trying, Trent. He's trying. He wants to get back into your uh your trust zone. I don't want another girl that I like to be told that I hate them. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe Glenn, you, you said this was several years ago, you know, when you are a, you are a senior in high school, you're almost done with this, this little adventure, this part of your life. So, you know, you're older, wiser, hopefully as is Glenn at this point. I mean, I mean, surely you can get past this. I mean, if I really felt like it, then I could, but I mean, Glenn just, he irks me the wrong way. He's okay. a little bit wild. Okay. Well, you know, you didn't have the, you didn't, uh, you know, when he did you so wrong, um, you never had the desire to pick up something heavy and hit him on the head with it, did you? I did not. Well, okay. That was, yeah, I thought about it, but I never did it. Or okay. like, I never picked up something heavy. Okay. It was a thought. It was a thought. Now, what what prevented you from actually doing that? Uh, a conscious. Okay. That okay. told me, hey, this probably isn't a good idea. Yeah. You know, we're 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 here today. You know, partly partly just to visit. You know, um, but also talk about this story, uh, "Lamb to the Slaughter" by Roald Dahl. Um, many people know Roald Dahl's work: uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda. Uh, James and the Giant Peach, other similar type stories. Uh, but he wrote this short story as well, Lamb to the Slaughter. And, and in this story, we get a woman who is wronged by her husband. And she does, Trent, decide to pick up something heavy. Um, in fact, it was a frozen leg of lamb. And she whacks him on the head, kills him dead. You know, Not typically what you kind of expect from Roald Dahl, who's more known for his, his uh, more... more children's literature um this is just just cold-blooded murder um this character had no conscience different than you i think in some ways um when you read this story what did you think was going to happen oh i was just befuddled i I was thinking oh well maybe she'll just like go to her sister's house or something like get out of the house so she doesn't do nothing stupid or go off crazy but then she unwraps that leg of lamb and she's just yeah she didn't even think about it yeah and then she She, after she did it she was just like okay let me go put it in the oven she didn't even give a genuine thought about her husband's actual well-being yeah, I mean, and, and in fact, when we get to the story, um, or this part of the story, uh, what had happened up to this point is, you know, the, the woman here, Mary Maloney, um, was her name, and uh, she's at home waiting for her husband, who's a who's a policeman, to come home from work, 
Uh, we get the sense in the story that she's used to this certain routine. Uh, she's got, she's sitting there. She knows it's a few minutes till five o'clock. So he should be coming home at any moment. She hears the, the car pull into the driveway at the right time. She hears him walking to the front door. She hears the, the, uh, his key unlock the front door and him come in. She immediately uh, pours a couple of drinks, a stronger one for him, a weaker one for herself. Um, and then, uh, they, they just sit and they sit until he's ready to, to talk, um, which, and she seems completely fine with this routine. She's very, this sort of 1950s housewife sort of role that she has in this relationship. Um, he gives her some news. We don't get to know what the news is specifically. What do you think it was, Trent? I think either he got a mistress pregnant or he just, is straight up trying to divorce her because that would be the only things that I would think would give her that reaction. Unless he told her he doesn't like Taylor Swift or something. Oh yeah. Now look, you know, we don't know about Mary Maloney. If she is a BWG, uh, she might be, it's possible. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Taylor Swift slander has uh, brought out the uh, evil in, in many people. I've seen it in my own life. Um, I think you probably have too. Uh, but yeah, we, we don't really know what he says, but it's not good. We know that. Uh, he says, uh, we, we learn in the story that, that Mary is six months pregnant at this point. So we assume, you know, like you say, you know, maybe he has uh, found a mistress and he's leaving her or he's gotten somebody else pregnant or, or there's none of that at all. He just doesn't want to be married to her anymore and doesn't want this uh, child that would likely be born um, a few months after this incident, he, he says, you know, don't worry, let's not make a big deal out about this. I'm going to, I'll make sure you're covered financially. You're going to be taken care of. Um, you know, it wouldn't be good for my career if this got out, whatever. Uh, yeah. So we don't really know exactly what it was that he told her. And it may not be that important really in the, the grand scheme of things, what he told her specifically. Um, but, but what's more important is what she does. And she goes into the kitchen. She grabs a frozen leg of lamb. And in the story, it says, at that point, Mary Maloney simply walked up behind him. And without any pause, she swung the big frozen leg of lamb high in the air and brought it down as hard as she could on the back of his head. She simply walked. This is how he wrote it. She simply walked over to him and hit him on the, on the head. It, how did her reaction to this situation, how did you take it? I thought that it was just sort of a lack of emotion on her part. Like she just sort of disassociated, I think, um, from the situation. And she just, as, I can't explain it any better than what Roald did. And she just went over and just did it. She just hit him. She didn't really put any emotion into it. And she just, kind of pop got him yeah yeah you know she just whacked him right on the head you know without even like you say without even really thinking about it or anything like that a couple of paragraphs later uh we get a one-line paragraph it says all right she told herself so i've killed him just very plain very unemotional very robotic what uh what happens in a person's brain when when they do something that unconscious, that that automatic or that robotic, 
Um, is that something we're all capable of, or is that a certain kind of uh, sociopath that can go to that place? What do you think? I think that it realistically would be only specific people, but I think that the capability of it can be in all of us because if something, if a day just goes so horribly wrong, then like anybody can become just a terrible person because I think it was, um, I forget who said it, but I remember hearing a quote about like one bad day and a hero becomes a villain. Hmm. Like we're all just one bad day away from doing these villainous things. Yeah, no, that's a good quote. I'm not sure you said that either, but um, I think I agree with that. I mean, it, it, immediately my, my brain went to Batman. I, I mean, Batman's a psycho. <laughs> Absolutely. He's a, a legitimate sociopath. You know, he, he, he goes to this dark place um, that, that he can justify his actions um, based on his experience, what he thinks he should do in a situation. But uh, Batman's maybe not the, the paragon of virtue, right? Uh, he's not Superman. Yeah, he always has that sort of, morphed lot uh not logical compass but moral compass and i looked it up it was joker that said that which makes oh a lot well of there sense. you go <laughs> yeah. perfect that worked out uh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i mean so what does her behavior reveal about the human psyche when you're presented with an extreme circumstance we're really capable of I don't want to say anything we can put our mind to because that just sounds awkwardly inspirational about a murder. <laughs> <But> right. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're really capable of just like whatever we think the absolute worst case scenario, plane crash scenario is in our lives. Like that could really just make us sort of ruin every other little bit because she could have lived her life with a baby daddy and just had him stay away and just be financially well off. But she then decided, oh, well, it's better for him to be dead than to be off with some, living some other life. And that's how she took it. Can you take her side in this situation? I feel like without knowing the extenuating circumstances, like what he told her, I can't, but if it were to have been something like, if he would have like killed her family or something, then I could understand that. But we don't ever get any sort of clues into what it was. So I can't really take yeah. it from that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we, we all assume um, those of us, I think anybody that reads this story assumes that, yeah, he all, I put in quotes, people that can't see us uh, all he did was uh, was either cheat on her or tell her that he wanted to to leave. Um, so to your point, yeah, he's not out there, you know, he's not out there kicking puppies and slapping, you know, random orphans on the street or anything like that. You know, he's he's not he's not necessarily committed any violent crimes, right? He's committed more personal crimes, crimes in quotes. Um, so I don't think we're on his side, right? You should not leave or do wrong your your six-month pregnant wife. No one should do that. Um, but 
does her actions justify that level of um and i'm putting quotes again crime do, do her do her actions justify it I don't think so because like okay sure he cheats or he wants to leave that sucks being dumped yeah. especially while sure. pregnant which yeah. like hormones might go into that so maybe she just straight up wasn't in her right mind but even still you'd think after having to go grab that giant presumably leg of lamb and then that was able to feed four grown men yeah and like you'd think at some point while she's going walk over to him and like lifts it way above her head, she'd think like, huh. Well, I mean, I could live a good life with him giving me money. Maybe I should it. just kneecap him and not hit him in the back of the head, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Maybe I should just like cripple him. Like that'll yeah. make it easier. That'll show him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He wants um, to leave me. <laughs> You can't even walk now. What you gonna do? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you, so. I mean, I think you and I are in agreement that maybe she she went a little bit too far in exacting her revenge. I'm not one to to say that. Uh, my opinion, uh, someone that cheats on their spouse or whatever should be murdered. I don't think that's a fair punishment for that offense. Um, do you root for her at all? Do you want her to get away with it, or do you want her to get caught? That's a really good question because, like, on one hand, since it's – is it even from her point of view, I feel like? Because I don't really get very much, like, clear, like, oh, yeah, he thought this. Like, it's not it's not third-person yeah. omniscient, so we don't get no, it's, all of no, it, thoughts. Yeah, so. yeah, it's more of a third-person limited where you're more – you tell like you're just over her shoulder. So we're kind of just like a fly on the wall. So, I mean, I kind of – I'm just hoping that I feel like she gets caught because after going to those extremes from such a like relatively small like drop in the bucket type of um, action from him like if he like we were saying like if he would have like killed all our family then I'd have rooted for her to absolutely like, get away and travel the world or something absolutely if it's just them trying to leave her like she could get caught it's not that big a deal you know i think what her her actions uh after the act are super important here um she realizes uh that she's killed him uh it says in the story it was extraordinary now how clear her mind became all of a sudden she began thinking very fast um as the wife of a, of a detective, she knew quite well that the penalty would be. That was fine. It made no difference to her. In fact, it would be a relief. Uh, so she immediately, it, it sort of snaps her out of this kind of 1950s, docile, timid, housewife sort of persona into somebody that's now thinking quickly and clearly and, and, and thinking four or five steps ahead. Uh, she could have, Trent, she could have picked up the phone and called the police office and said, I've just killed my husband. You know, she could have fessed up to it immediately. She does the exact opposite of immediately fessing up to it. Um, tell the people listening what she does. 
she realizes what she done, and she's like, oh, crap. I got to give me an alibi right now. Yep. So she goes <laughs> over to the store, and she gets her some, I think, canned vegetables, mm-hmm. like uh, peas and carrots and stuff. And then I don't remember what else she gets in the story. But she makes sure she does small talk with the uh, cashier so that way he remembers her. He's like, oh, the husband's fine. Yeah, I'm moving along in the pregnancy. So that way he'll remember she came in. And then she pays for her food and then goes on home. And then she immediately, when she walks in the door, is like, oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, she she says, you know, after she does it, she goes into the bathroom. She goes into the mirror and she sort of she starts rehearsing her lines. She says into the mirror, she, she washed her hands and ran upstairs to the bedroom. She sat down before the mirror, tidied her hair, touched up her lips and face. She tried a smile. It came out rather peculiar. She tried again. Hello, Sam, she said brightly aloud. Her voice sounded peculiar too. I want some potatoes, please, Sam. Yes, and I think a can of peas. That was better. The voice and the smile were coming out better now. So she's rehearsing it. She's like you said, she's she's getting her alibi in order. Um, she wants to be able to go to the grocer uh, and hit her lines and hit her marks exactly. Um, so that, as you say, the the guy at the store, Sam, will remember that conversation because you know the she knows the police are going to ask her, well, "Where you been, Mary? Where were you when your husband got killed?" Oh, she said, "Oh, well, I was down at the grocery store." Blah blah blah. They call Sam at the grocery store. He's like, "Yeah, she was here." Here's what we talked about. Here's what she bought. Um, she immediately thinks of this alibi. She goes into self-preservation mode. She goes into, I've got to save my own rear end here. Um, even when she walks back into the house from the store, like you said, she kind of freaks out. She's like, she's, she's acting in front of no audience, right? She's, she's, she's going through all the motions so that she can help justify it in her mind, uh, what she's done and what she's trying to get away with here. Um, what do you think that about her? What do you think that what? Says about her that she would she would go through all this trouble of, uh, of reciting or planning her next steps here. I really think that just shows, sorry about that, that she just. Is that Glenn? That's not Glenn. That's my dog. Let him out. Let him out. Untie him. Let him free. It's been two years. <laughs> oh, bye, Glenn. I'll go <laughs> shut the door on Glenn so that way you don't bother us. All good. <laughs> okay. Glenn's good now. Um, All right, good. Um, I think that just shows that even in her previously, like, just straight up not thinking, just doing mindset where she simply, in quotes, just walked over to him and smoked him. Like, even after that, she's still, like, thinking a few steps ahead, like you said. She's just kind of trying to big brain this, trying to be like, okay, so if I just call the police now, then they're going to be like, oh, so someone else has been in the house or you were gone or something? Or did you have you been here the whole time and you just just so happened to uh, walk downstairs or something after he got brutally murdered? 
and like you didn't hear anything or nothing. So she understands that she has to figure out an alibi and she wants it to be believable. She doesn't want to have any doubts. She wants to make sure that Sam's going to be like, oh yeah, she's good. Nah, she don't. Yeah. She's yeah, she was here, man. Here's what she bought. Yeah, here's what we talked about. Yeah. Uh, do you think we're all capable of this? I think if we all get pushed to that dark place, then I do think that we can all be like this, but it would take something really, really horrible for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I, um, when, you, when you make a mistake, are you often um, – immediately trying to think how to cover it up depending on the severity not really if i were to accidentally kill someone or if it was an accident you think you'd want to be immediately fess up like yo this was an accident you know yes i did it but it was an accident her situation was not an accident i was about to say do we even call it an accident because she didn't know what she was doing technically well that's a good point but also, it you don't swing a leg of lamb with all your force by accident. So, yeah, I that's mean, an intentional but, act. Yeah, you did. She didn't like try to toss it to him here, catch, and it catch him the wrong way, and he fall out. No, she brought it up over her head, and we get the line in the story. She might have. She might just as well have hit him with a steel club. It says she brought it down as hard as she could. Uh, so yeah, she was intentionally doing this. Um, yeah, but so I was wondering what is what does it say about humans in general um, that we have this desire for self-preservation, no matter what the scenario might be. I think a part of that is like Darwinism, to where it's just survival of the fittest. So then our minds immediately go to, okay, well, dang, how do I fix myself out of this situation, and then. If I can't get myself immediately out of this situation, how do I bring someone along with me? So that way I'm not the only person that gets the blame for this. So then it's really just a matter of, I think, psychological, for lack of a better way to explain it, preservation. It's just like we instinctually want to get our hands clean of whatever happened and like, oh, yeah, it wasn't me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think we're probably all capable of that behavior, uh, but it depends on the severity. You know, I, like, you know, like I said, I like to think if I accidentally murdered somebody, I wouldn't uh, immediately start thinking four steps ahead. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I've never accidentally murdered somebody um, or on purpose. Just that's clear. Um, either way, it's never happened. Uh, I wish we had, uh, you know, I should have, um, uh, got Mr. Snedden to join us for this uh, conversation because he could tell us all about the psychological stuff uh, involved. He's the, he's a psychologist, uh, not me, but did you find any part of the story funny? Was there humor in the story? I found humor in the way I'm explaining it, where I was just like, she practices and then she goes out and gets her alibi and then she's like, ah, what happened? <laughs> no. Right, but, right, right, right. 
it's 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 got a little bit of a dark humor, and I think with with a lot of uh, Roald Dahl's work, I mean, yeah, he did. I mean, shoot, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factories is full of you know quote unquote adult humor in spots. Uh, anything that he's done is sort of uh, there's the jokes for the kids, and then there's the stuff that maybe only the adults think is funny or silly. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of that dark humor. Why is it okay? How does humor or dark humor help us come to terms with the situation, whether it's fiction, whether it's real life, uh, how, how does being comedic about it in some way help us deal with it? I think it can just kind of help us with grief and understand, okay, yeah, maybe my husband's gone, but like, ha ha about it. So then like it's life goes on kind of sort of it makes us understand that there's more than just what has previously happened. Like life is going to continue on with or without whoever that person or people are. And we really just get that better understanding of like that. Okay. Even though I miss this person, we still got to keep chugging along and it life is, or the world isn't going to stop because so-and-so died. We got it. Sure. And I, I think, I mean, I forget who said it. It's an old quote, you know, but, um, you know, the definition of comedy is tragedy plus timing, you know. Um, so you see somebody trip and fall into the street. That's funny. Uh, but if they got run over by a bus, then it's not so funny anymore. Right. So it's, it's you know, comedy is just tragedy plus timing. And um, I think this, just reading the story, just uh, knowing how Roald Dahl was and how his other stories are, he's got a certain kind of, I want to say, playful seriousness to it. I mean, he's dealing with a serious topic here. He's dealing with the cold-blooded murder, but it's almost a playful kind of tone that he takes with his stories. Um, you know, Willy Wonka is a crazy person. He's, he's an absolute crazy person, right? But But in the way that that story is told it's funny. You know, he's redeeming in some way. Do you find anything about Mary Maloney redeeming? Okay. What about Han Solo? He is similar. However, he doesn't have a suit. And also we kind of get, yeah, but more he's got a, a really suave vest though. Oh, the vest. Oh my goodness. Um, but we get more characterization of him. So he's less of a mystery. And then there's, sort of a love arc with him and Leia. Mm -hmm. So then that just kind of takes away from that sort of just in the shadows, just darkness. Like we don't know anything about him other than, oh, he might kill you if he gets paid enough. Yeah, he's really just the, uh, he's not that dissimilar uh, from Boba Fett, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, They're essentially uh, very, very similar characters for sure. but what about somebody that like Darth Vader? I mean, Darth Vader is uh, he's he's a bad guy. Uh, I think we can we can say that. Um, I'm talking since you know once once he gets the suit, once uh, once Obi Wan takes the high ground and 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 burns Anakin, um, and he transforms into Darth Vader. Vader's a bad guy, uh, but he's got an enormous fan following. A lot of people will tell you Darth Vader is their favorite character in the whole Star Wars universe. 
why would people say that? He's a bad guy, Trent. Once again, the suit. And <laughs> also, we, we get that pre-villain origin where he is falling in love with Padme and he was a slave on, I forget which planet it was. I haven't watched the prequels in a while. Or um, should you? Um, yeah, he was a slave, so he didn't have very great of a life to begin with. And then, so we understand, like, okay, I mean, we should root for this guy because, like, yeah, he's growing up out of the slums and he's building a better life for himself becoming a Jedi. But meanwhile, then he kind of gets corrupted by that, the dark side. And he just is hearing that voice, the devil on his shoulder and uh, Emperor Palpatine. And he's just like, okay, well, Order 66. And he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, duh. Because, I mean, Padme is almost dead. So then what else do I have to live for? So then he's just like, yeah. yep, younglings. See, it's, younglings. it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Younglings. Yeah. Uh. It's interesting you say that, though, because, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Empire Strikes Back came out. Okay? I heard that giggle. Yeah, I heard you. Uh, so, yeah, I'm old enough to remember that. So, like, what you're talking about there is this sort of this sort of rehabilitation of Anakin Skywalker through the first three movies, right, to get that backstory. You know, the OGs like myself, Trent, you know, we only saw awesome full black suit, awesome helmet, super powerful Darth Vader, uh, evil Sith Lord up until the end of um, uh, return of the Jedi, when he kind of comes back around, you know, when Luke saves him. So for, I, I know if you, you may not be able to put yourself in the position, but if you take those first three movies out of it, the prequel movies out of it, why do you think people were still so drawn to Darth Vader as their favorite character? I feel like a part of it is just kind of being like, oh, villains are cool. But another part is sort of this kind of like um, Boba Fett, where it's just like, oh, this mysterious dude in a black suit. Oh, he's super powerful. So then that means he could do so much with it. And then he... I don't know how to explain it. Because then I want to bring in the fight on what was it not Qatar the that's one a country that's where they just played the world cup <laughs> I want to bring in the fight with Obi-Wan because yeah. then that really shows us like how far he's delved into the dark yeah. side but without that we kind of don't get much from him other than oh yeah he's basically a general of this giant Sith army so, yeah and he can choke you from across the room uh, yeah, which is just cool. It's just cool. Are you a Harry Potter person? I've seen them, like the first four, I think. Okay. Um, I've never read the books. But okay. Uh, how do you feel about Snape, Severus Snape? He has a wobbly moral compass, as we've said, because he's on one hand the master of the, or not the master of the dark arts, but a teacher of the dark arts. Right. So, so he has to kind of have that dark, mysterious aura around him where he's having to teach him, like, the bad parts of wizardry. 
but he also okay not having seen the rest of them i think he partially sells out harry to voldemort but i'm not sure and it kind of just gives us this okay should i help him because that's the right thing to do or should i stay loyal to my i don't even know what you would call it technically should i be loyal yeah, you know, I don't think I'm giving away any spoilers here, um, you know, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Uh, we learn later on in the series, uh, the last couple of movies, that really Snape has been working along with Dumbledore the whole time. And that really Snape was sort of there in his own way, sort of helping and protecting Harry to some degree. So, you know, he's presented as the villain of the whole thing, right, up until the very end where he's kind of revealed as being... Um, on Harry's side, right? Dumbledore entrusted Snape with all this, with all this um, uh, responsibility because uh, Dumbledore knew that he would have to die and Snape would be the one that, that does it, even though it was an arranged thing. Um, but the whole time, up, up until that point, I think like Darth Vader, people are attracted to Snape for some reason. And we're trying to put our finger on what, what that might be. You know, why are we attracted to sort of these these darker, these sort of anti-heroes. What about Indiana Jones? He's essentially just a thief, plain and simple. But we see everything more or less from his point of view. So then we just, it's sort of like that Batman thing where we see him through rose-colored glasses and then we're just like, oh yeah, but he's stealing it for, decent reason and oh yeah he teaches archaeology on the side yeah but it's what he's doing he's 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 stealing you know this is your word he's stealing things artifacts um these priceless treasures from these other countries and cultures and it's not like he's stealing them or taking them and going to the government of that country and say look i have found this sacred idol that is important to your culture for centuries no that's not what he does He's going to take him back home on an airplane and put him in a museum, which is what, uh, you know, this is what white colonialism is, you know, taking uh, the, the priceless treasures of other countries and, and putting them somewhere else. Half of ancient Egypt is in a museum in, in Great Britain, you know. Um, so how can we call Indiana Jones a hero when really what he's doing isn't really that heroic? we see him through this point of view of, oh yeah, I got to get this treasure. But then, oh, there's all these quote unquote bad guys coming after me with swords and like bows and arrows and stuff because they're less, I don't want to say less advanced, but they, their culture doesn't have guns and stuff in a majority of the movies. So then, oh yeah, sword fighting and me using my lasso is cool. So then we just see that side of it instead of the, oh my gosh, he's stealing this thing from our great culture. And so right. we seem to overlook that little detail, right? We overlook the fact that he's, he's, he's uh, appropriating other cultures, artifacts for, you know, uh, and he wasn't trying to sell them and make millions of dollars. He was going to put them in a museum. So in some way, I guess that's uh, altruistic and a good thing to do. 
but yeah, there's the whole thing about having to steal from other cultures that we kind of conveniently overlook um, a little bit. Why do you think anti-heroes have an appeal to us psychologically? Like, okay, we could take out Boba Fett's suit, Invader's suit, and Han Solo's whip, and uh, Snape's accent. You know, what, what do these anti-heroes, the fact that we are drawn to them, what does it say about us psychologically? I think a part of it is also us sort of being like, well, yeah, if we had such a terrible childhood, we probably wouldn't be a superhero. We'd probably just be sort of this Batman, like, damn, I got to get revenge now. We wouldn't necessarily have a great moral compass. We'd have this sort of, okay, I can super horribly injure these these bad guys but oh if i kill them then that's gonna be on me and then that's gonna be the end of batman yeah i mean it's interesting you brought up the backstory or childhood because um darth vader uh bad childhood uh yes uh severus snape bad childhood if you read the books you'll see that um uh boba fett messed up childhood for sure uh, we don't really know too much about Indiana Jones. I guess we know a little bit, but um, maybe not as much as the others. Um, you know, I think that maybe uh, we are attracted to these kind of anti-heroes because it, it forces us to realize something about ourselves. If like, yeah, if pushed in the right direction or the wrong direction, depending on how you look at it, um, we all have the ability to be terrible we all have the ability the potential to do bad things if the certain situation seems to um uh to call for it these these characters it's almost like we're it's almost a voyeurism in a way almost like we are being allowed to live our lives through these other people like yeah i'm not really gonna bash somebody on the top of the head with a frozen leg of lamb i would never do that but man it sure is fun to think about it I wouldn't run somebody over with a Zamboni, but, oh, it's funny when he does it. It's funny, especially if he's got a one-liner after he does it. Yeah, you know, it, it allows this kind of window into the darker sides of ourselves. I think that's what these anti-heroes um, kind of do for us, for sure. Now, you know, back to the story, back to Lamb to the Slaughter. Tell everybody listening, if they have not realized, if they've not read the story, Trent, tell them, how does Mary get away with it? So she tells the cops, oh, yeah, I was just at the store, call Sam. And then she gets her alibi checked, and then they're all like, okay, yeah, she's clean. This presumably happened around the time that she was at the store. So then after that, they're all taking pictures of the crime scene. They're drawing a chalk outline of his body, (laughs) so that way they know where it was and all that. And then um, after that, She's still got the lamb in the oven because she put it in the oven before or after she hit him, but presumably <laughs> yeah. before he got murdered, in quotes. Sure. And so then that gives her the reasoning of like, oh, yeah, the lamb was already being cooked. How could it have been used to bash somebody over the head with? So then sure. while the police are like investigating and stuff, she's just sitting in her chair like, oh, my gosh, my husband's dead. Oh no. And then eventually she's like, 
oh, it's probably past y'all's supper time. I'm so sorry. Um, my husband would never allow y'all to be over here without me being a good host. So if y'all want to eat that lamb, then y'all go and have it. Like I'm, I'm just so distraught right now to eat. Uh, y'all enjoy it and have all of it because I'm not going to eat tonight because of this great grief that I'm having over my husband. Mm-hmm. And then they eat it and then they are just like, huh, whoever must have this giant, um, probably steel weapon must have not gone super far with it. I think it's right under our noses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. It says, wow. Whoever done it, they're not going to be carrying a thing like that around with them longer than they need. One of them belched. Personally, I think it's right here on the premises. Probably right under our very noses. What do you think, Jack? In the other room, Mary Maloney began to giggle. Uh, It's pretty brilliant. As far as getting away with a crime, that's pretty brilliant. Uh, The story is on this deal. Do you know who Ian Fleming is? Ian Fleming? Ian Fleming was the uh, guy who wrote all the James Bond books. And he and Roald Dahl were, um, were friends. And the story is, whether it's true or not, it's kind of taken to be true now, um, is that Ian Fleming challenged Roald Dahl to write a story where somebody gets murdered with a leg of lamb and gets away with it. And he's like, all right, uh, don't threaten me with a good time. And Roald Dahl did just that. I mean, it's a brilliant way to get away with the crime, right? You feed, literally feed the murder weapon to the police. Um, and yeah, and it says in the last line in the story in the other room, Mary Maloney began to giggle. Uh, you think, why did she giggle? Cause she knew first off that was funny, but they were like, Oh yeah, it's right under our noses. <laughs> right. Presumably while they were like wiping their chins and stuff. correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. humor in the story. There really is yeah. humor. Yeah. And then she also knew, okay, well, this one cop was like, oh, yeah, let's finish it off. She said she wasn't eating. So then she yeah, knows, yeah. oh, yeah, there's no evidence against me now. I can just <laughs> relax. So. Yeah. Yeah. She just giggles. Uh, now, I would. Now, do you think. Do you think she does get away with it? I mean, that's how the story ends. The story ends with the police. They're they're finishing up this leg of lamb. They're going to eat it all. Um, uh, she giggles. Uh, that's what we're left with. Do you think she gets away with it? I think there's no way she doesn't because, like, there's no murder weapon that could possibly be connected to it. There was no extenuating evidence that she would have been home during the murder unless they would have found out, like, time of death was, like, 10-plus minutes before Yeah, it's hard to do that precisely, yeah. Exactly. And then, plus, it's in the 1950s, so the exact time wouldn't have been known anyways just to have known okay it was between essentially the times that she left and went back because it was only like five ten minutes while she was practicing her reaction to it so she kind of just get i think gets away with it she's just gets that life insurance money and is (laughs) spending it has a, has her baby three months later, and she and the baby are living large for the rest of their lives. She she made one slip up. There was one thing that could have got her. What? Did you catch it? 
It was in the conversation with the grocer, with Sam. I don't think so. The only slip up, the only potential slip up. And it's it's interesting because she practices what she's going to say to Sam, right, before she goes. She practices her lines, and she nails her lines immediately when she gets to him. But as is the case often, when people are sort of trying to talk their way out of something, they almost give away too much information. Um, uh, he asked, then, how about the meat, Mrs. Maloney? She says, no, I've got meat, thanks. I got a nice leg of lamb from the freezer. Oh, I don't much like cooking it frozen, Sam, but I'm taking a chance on it this time. You think it'll be all right? So she admits to Sam that she was in possession of a large frozen leg of lamb, um, which could be active, could be used as a weapon. That's the only potential slip up in her, her brilliant crime here. Um, you know, so if if the police, you know, I mean, you know, and part of it, like you said, was the 1950s. So forensic science is not the same as it was now uh, back then. You know, had they like, you know, been able to take some sample of her husband's head and there's a piece of pork on it or something, a piece of, of, of lamb DNA, and they can put that lamb DNA to what the cops ate, you know, and I was like, Sam, Sam, they talked to Sam again. Oh, yeah, she did mention she had a frozen leg of lamb. You know, that's her only slip up. It was almost completely solid. But I think maybe in, you know, the year 2023, when uh, we think about forensics, that might catch our attention, but maybe not, maybe not in the 1950s. But so uh, you think there's a 96 year old woman just sitting in a rocking chair <laughs> on her front porch and then she just gets swatted. There's just people with. She could. They, yeah. You know, they opened up the case, man. It was a cold case. Uh, some would say a frozen case. Um, I'm sorry, that was a bad one, but, um, yeah, you know, she gets, uh, the SWAT team swoops in, we've checked the DNA, her husband had mutton in his earlobe or something, um, but that was the Maybe only slip up. That matter, it was just straight up a lamb, there was just, just a chunk. <laughs> right, right, uh, your husband's DNA, ma'am, was, was 3% lamb, we find this strange, uh, yeah. So that's the only slip up, you know, other to an otherwise perfect uh, alibi, perfect crime, perfect murder. Uh, I think we can assume that in the 1950s, she does ultimately get away with this crime um, just because of the forensics not being what they are today. Uh, what I'm telling you, Trent, is do not go hitting anybody, Glenn, with a frozen leg of lamb. You are much more likely to get caught these days than you would have um back then i feel like the only thing that would be different today if someone were to theoretically do this in 2023 would just be the cops are just gonna go out for waffle house or something they're not gonna stay in so then uh, yeah just, that's yeah like that and even if they don't have forensics involved with it then they would be like oh yeah was anything up with her at the grocery store to sam and then he'd be like i mean she mentioned this weird thing about, oh yeah, I don't usually like cooking a frozen leg of lamb, but I mean, and she I'm asks his opinion. Like, she asks his opinion on it, like, what do you think? Should I cook it frozen? And and he's like, yeah, personally, I don't think it makes a difference or not. So, you know, that's the sort of conversation detail that, yeah, if the investigators pressed him harder, you know, tell us every single thing that was said, um, 
then maybe she doesn't get away with it. But she's in the position because her husband being a cop, she knows all the police officers that are there at the house. You know, they kind of give her the benefit of the doubt a little bit. This isn't somebody who is unfamiliar to the police. You know, she knew these people personally and they were, were have the tendency to um, believe the, the wife of one of their colleagues in this situation. Glancing at the story here, seeing if there's anything else that jumps out. Uh, anything else for you jump out of the story that we have not mentioned here today? I thought that very beginning where it was just like, I want to say she spoke pretty soon after she got the drinks. And then he was like, could you just stop talking? Like, I just want my me time. That just seemed very off to me, at least with now society. I'm sure back in the 50s, it was probably like, oh, yeah, just backhand my wife. Just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't encourage that sort of behavior these days. Um it seemed off to her too, though, um, because it, he does a good job in setting up the story at the beginning. He kind of he kind of sets up what the expectation is. The expectation is that she's got the house a certain way. She's waiting for him to come home. When he comes home, they've got this routine, and uh, the husband immediately goes against all of the things that we are led to believe would be expected in their household on a day-to-day -day basis um he's not too chatty he doesn't want to eat she offers to get him his slippers he says no she offers to get him the, the cheese and crackers or whatever he says no um even how he drinks his drink she tells us that usually he kind of sips his drink and he doesn't say much until he's finished his first drink but in this particular moment this day he downs his drink in one shot and she kind of that kind of triggers something in her head. This is unusual. This is not normal, normal behavior. She offers to make him another one. He says, no, I've got it. He goes and pours him a strong one. Um, we get the description of how she knows it's um, a particularly strong one. So he, he does a good job, Dahl does, setting up the expectation, but then immediately subverting it and, and going against the expectation that he has put forth. And that gives us a clue Something's not right here. It's just kind of like a all of those routines that she was in in the beginning, where she like, here's the car drive up within a three or so minute span, and then oh yeah, she goes fixes the drinks. Everything after that is just like, whoop, flipped on his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how do we feel about um, how do we feel about the husband here, Patrick? I mean, he, he obviously. He obviously did something that he shouldn't have done in order to tell his wife whatever he was going to tell her. Um, does he have any redeeming qualities? Not particularly based on what little we have of him, because all we know is, oh, yeah, he absolutely downed his drink. And then he told her to just sit down. And then yeah. he was like, Hey, I treated her, did this, that, and other. And that's I all. I mean, you did. know, he did tell her. He did tell her. I mean, can is that does that count for anything? He wasn't hiding it. Well, of course, we don't know how long he may have been hiding it prior to this this one day. I was gonna say uh, this. he could have just had a mistress for like the whole pregnancy, or even could have been years. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say their whole marriage, depending on sure, how long that sure, yeah. So we don't feel too bad that he got uh, clubbed to death. 
at least it was all in one foul swoop. It wasn't like he yeah, it was. It happened quickly, right? She didn't have yeah. to like continually beat him. You know, and he, you won't die. Why won't you die? You know, it wasn't like that. And he's just like, what the hell? <laughs> right. Okay, you can make me another drink. Just stop hitting me. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, it wasn't anything like that. Um. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I like this story a lot. I think. Um, uh, this is not one that we included in our uh, discussion for the course uh, this semester. I may include this story in future semesters. I don't know. Um, if you had to make a prediction here, Trent, thinking about the uh, 15 people in your fiction class, how many of them would say that Mary was 100% right in doing what she did and she should get away with it versus how many do you think would say she shouldn't have done it. She should have dealt with it a different way. Who's all in with Mary. You don't have to name names, but about how many people of our 15 friends in our fiction class are hundred percent with Mary here. I can see like four or five of them. And then I could see the other 10 being like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying about a third, a uh, third would be hundred percent team Mary here. Uh, I don't know. That's why I, I wish maybe I'll include this in future semesters and see uh, if your prediction comes to pass, if roughly one third of a, of a, of a population would be behind Mary. Where are you? Are you hundred percent team Mary? Oh no. Cause unless he was kicking puppies and slapping orphans. Yeah, I mean that's unforgivable. Yeah, it was just so over kicking orphans and slapping puppies equally bad behavior. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up for us here today, Trent. Um, good conversation. Thank you for joining. Um, what are you most looking forward to? uh next semester so for the people that don't know next semester we're doing a mythology course what are you most looking forward to in our mythology course probably the strange family trees because it's like odin is technically the father of loki but he's also adopted so then there's that but then loki's the father of Fenrir and um, Slepnir, the horse that Odin has historically rode into battle. So then, and Fenrir eats Odin in Ragnarok. So then, there's the family history in that. So then, there's just sort of a lot of convoluted sort of stuff. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear you try to explain that. <laughs> yeah, no, challenge accepted. Um, yeah, and you're just talking about the Norse. I mean, wait till we talk about the Greeks. Ooh, that is one giant trailer park. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, I can the, see the, Tyler just being like, wait, so he's rode this horse into battle for like eons, and then Loki was just born, but then, yeah, Kyler's yeah. not going to enjoy it. Nah. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Um, uh at the end of the day, it's still talking about stories. You know, it's just talking about different kinds of stories for sure. Um, 
Well, uh, I'll let you get out of here. Thank you for joining me again here today. Uh, always enjoy visiting with you. And I uh, hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too, Mr. Carla. Nice having you. All right.